Welcome to Deconstructing Yourself, the podcast for modern mutants interested in meditation, hardcore dharma, post-non and un-Buddhism, emptiness, Picard, and much more. My name is Michael Taft, your host on the podcast, and in this episode I'm speaking once again with Locke Kelly. Locke Kelly is an author, meditation teacher, psychotherapist, and founder of the nonprofit Open Hearted Awareness Institute. Locke teaches in a non sectarian lineage based in the earliest non dual wisdom traditions, modern science, and psychotherapy. As you may know, I interviewed Locke a few months ago. The interest and response of listeners to that episode was so great, I thought I'd bring Locke back in and talk to him a little bit more about his way of teaching non dual practice. This episode that I call Non-Duality and Awake Awareness with Locke Kelly is the result of that interview. I hope you enjoy it. Locke, welcome to the Deconstructing Yourself podcast once again. Thanks so much, Michael. Great to be here with you and everyone who's listening. Yeah, it's so great to have you back. Our last session together got quite a bit of feedback. A lot of people were really interested in it and really interested in your work. You seem to be hitting some new peak of fabulous popularity. So congratulations. Well, thank you. I'm just, you know, hoping that it's meeting people where they are and that, you know, we can share in it together. So for this session today, I'd love to just really dig into some of the details of what you're teaching and let you expound on that more completely. How's that sound? That sounds great. Okay, so I'm trying to think of what year you started learning about non-dual stuff. I know for me it was somewhere in the mid-80s, you know, early 80s or something like that. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as I look back, I didn't have the word non-dual, but certain experiences I had even as a kid are reminiscent of what I would call non-dual now. Sure, the experiences, yeah. But even as an idea using the word, I'm sure it's been a long time. And so what we kind of blew by last time is let's just talk about what that means to you exactly and how you would describe it to someone who is, let's say, a meditator, but isn't that familiar with that language. Mm -hmm. And then we'll dive deep from there. I just had a flash on Nizargadatta's I am that, which is one of the non-dual teachings. So I've been trying to bridge the gap by using the term effortless mindfulness, which is one of the terms that is attempting to both recognize preliminary practices and calming and focusing, and then shifting of consciousness intentionally into non-dual consciousness. So there's a bunch of ways I could talk about it, and I want to try to be experiential and point in different ways and use different metaphors and languages to clarify. I would say, I guess, there are two ways that non-dual is being used today in our contemporary culture. One is the use of non-dual, as in non-dual awareness, where some people consider when you move from your dualistic mind and shift into pure awareness, that that pure awareness is not dualistic, 
you've gone from a dualistic mind to a pure awareness, and so you're in a non-dual awareness. So for me, that's halfway there, or I go a different route, which is to continue to shift from small mind, thought-based identity, the feeling of a small separate self that's often felt like it's within our heads looking out of our eyes, and it's a kind of a looping pattern of consciousness that we take to be I or me. And once we open up our awareness to discover a subtler and deeper and wider dimension of consciousness that is empty and boundless and timeless and yet aware and alert and awake, that we can be aware of that and then we can be realizing that that awareness is actually already aware by itself without our help. And then when we look back from this new kind of boundless ground of awareness, as soon as there is an object or a movement or a sensation, vibration, energy, if we experience it as coming and going, arising and passing, then we've kind of gone into a high meditation state. So that's not non-dual, but it's kind of a big sky mind or a choiceless awareness dimension of practice or meditation. So the kind of amazing, curious move is from this thought-free, pure awareness, if we curiously begin to feel whether the first movement, sensation, vibration, energy is actually made of awareness. So there's not two things. Then there's a feeling, a kind of direct knowing that can arise that feels as if the particle or the wave is arising from the quantum field or the movement of sound or energy is not separate from the field of interconnectedness. And it kind of opens us up into this feeling of what's called same taste in the Mahamudra tradition. So same taste means that the awareness and the movement or the emptiness and the appearance or the ultimate level of reality and relative reality are not two. So that's the feeling of non-dual. So what it does is it kind of drops us from head to heart mind, and we feel both spacious and pervasive, kind of interconnected field of a source of mind or an emptiness where there isn't a separate thing that's arising. It's the feeling of interdependence, which is the kind of Theravada description of what emptiness is. There's no individual thing in itself. Everything's interconnected is what the feeling is. So that feeling all of a sudden relieves 
the root of suffering, which is this small separate sense of self as primary. So we can still feel there's a level of reality that's physical and has a distance to other subject objects. So it's not that we're tripping out into full hallucinogenic reality, but we are shifting into a subtler dimension of perception that feels and knows on a felt sense a kind of safety or interconnectedness or well-being that comes from realizing reality is not primarily physical only and not separate and threatening. So there's a feeling of kind of unity consciousness or interconnectedness that feels uniquely safe and kind of unconditionally loving. It may not come right away, but there's some feeling of non-fear or non-worry and non-shame. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's quite a bit to talk about in all that. Yeah. First of all, most of these traditions, I would say maybe all of them, eventually get around to saying, and this is already completely available, it's already perfect and totally present. There is nothing at all you must do in order to notice this kind of non-dual awareness. And I'm sure in your experience, certainly, I don't want to speak for you, in my, in, certainly in my experience when I'm teaching this, it is available to some people immediately at least a little bit, and other people after a while a little bit. Other people seem to really have a hard time contacting it for years. And so I'm curious, like for you, first of all, do you also model it as something that's completely already available? And if so, then what is, in your opinion, the main reasons people can't just contact it, mm -hmm. like falling out of bed? Yes, I agree with what you're saying. And yeah, it's the subtle understanding that it's always available. Therefore, there's nothing to do because it's always available. But that doesn't mean that an action or intention or relaxing or letting go or opening won't reveal it. So even the word awakening with an ing <laughs> means that something was obscured or covered over. And then the awakening isn't something added, like a learned skill or something that's developed, but also doesn't mean you can't do anything, there's nothing to do because it's already here. The middle road would be the doer that is obscured and identified. That doer can't know awake awareness. It can't know the dimension from its small point of view. So it can't do an action or use attention or thought or effort, which will lead to realization of what's already here. But there can be an intentionality of letting go or just sitting or shifting awareness that reveals what's always been here because you've shifted not only the view, but the viewer. 
So the view, so that movement from trying to be aware of this dimension that's already here, you know, like looking at one of those pictures where you can kind of see the two faces and the The vase, the vase and the faces, and something just happens. So there's some kind of intentionality or shift of awareness that does happen that brings like the background or the subtle ground into the foreground. And that can be done through, you know, some of these direct practice methods and some of these gradual, either deconstructing or letting go or resting, or particularly what I've been enjoying playing with is actually getting a felt sense of the awareness that's already identified. And uniquely, that awareness has intentionality. So it can let go and open and discover itself as this spacious, already awake, interconnected field. And then from there, you don't need to have a manager or an ego doer in order to speak or relate or create. But then the system is so strong, the not knowing how to let go or where to let go or what to let go into or what lets go is why most people have a hard time. I mean, I've had people, I can't do it. No, that doesn't work. No, no, no. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, wait <a> oh. <laughs> whoa. So it doesn't work until it does. And yeah. it pretty much, you know, just those who will stay with it, you know, majority of people with or without any previous practice can get a glimpse of it. That's the amazing thing is it doesn't require preliminary practices. In fact, you know, that we can get back into this a little bit later, but the attentional system of most preliminary practices is actually becomes an obstacle because it's not the same type of awareness. So yeah. focused, one-pointed focus, developing that as a way of, it does work to calm the body and mind for some people, but then it's a strong ability to focus. Can't see, you can't use that same attentional flashlight to see awake awareness. You literally have to let go of that. So getting back to that tricky language around doing and doer and there's nothing to do and you can't do it gets people into kind of a passive confusion around trying to understand it's already here and there's a way to realize it. But the doer that knows other things, the knower, the thought-based, I think, therefore I am, can't do it the small self can't wake up and grow up to be the awakened self. Right. There seems to be this long-standing idea that we can kind of develop the small self in, you know, grow it or cultivate it into something that then can wake up into this, let's say, non-dual awareness or natural mind or whatever we want to call it. But of course, it can never do that. It can grow and get better and become more effective and all that. But 
it's a fundamental shift of perspective, as you said. It's a fundamental, almost like figure ground reversal, where the awareness that is aware of the small self is the thing that is going to, you know, reveal it's always already been awakeness. It's not somehow the small self like downloading a patch for self 2.0 and suddenly, you know, realizing it is awake awareness directly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So between those two extremes, kind of one is we can do it, therefore rely on study and join a monastery or a cave and spend 30 years or three lifetimes through effort and perseverance, you know, it will happen, could be. And then there's also spontaneous awakenings that people have, at least for the initial realization. Oh, yeah, it can happen by accident, you know, actually fairly commonly, which again, points to the fact that this awareness is already here to be noticed or to notice itself. Yes. And then the other side of it is you can get a little carried away with there's nothing to do, there's no doer, therefore it can't be done, therefore don't try to do anything. That's the other extreme of some of the non-dual. So there are in the middle these set of pointers or ways of shifting awareness or glimpse practices, as I call them. So if somebody had an unintentional awakening, they don't know how to stabilize and they don't know how to return if it fades. So there's ways to learn and to kind of reveal awareness. And then the Tibetan word for meditation is often translated as familiarize. So awareness familiarizes itself with itself and how to return to itself. And there's actually then an active process rather than defining awareness as, well, awareness is just this non-local passive awareness that's always the same and you just realize it, but then you have to come back to be an ego doer in the world, but actually it's an upgrade of the entire operating system, which has ability to live in a human body from a human body. It's already within and it can just upgrade. Yeah. So I definitely have the same view as you do. We noticed that last time where it's not about doing absolutely nothing, but there's also problems with trying too hard. But in the middle, there's practices you can do that really help make you more, quote, accident prone, mm -hmm. meaning, you know, able to just kind of accidentally notice this thing. So you made an interesting distinction earlier that I'll bring back because it points to one of the main ways that people do this sort of step-by-step. Step. And you made a very precise distinction between sort of the witness consciousness and then true non-dual awareness. Yeah. And so very commonly, step one is to get into witness consciousness where you notice that there's the content of awareness, the things we're seeing, the things we're hearing, the things we're feeling, and sort of pure awareness, the thing that is aware of all that. Yes. And so that in kind of a typical spiritual language would be called something like witness consciousness with mm -hmm. a capital W, right? Yes. Yeah. And and so we're noticing everything that's arising, but noticing it with like this transparent completely mm -hmm. contentless, 
pristine, clear awareness. And sometimes that is mistaken for non-duality, but it is, just to be clear, that's still really cool, right? (laughs) It's a a deep, awesome meditation (laughs) um, and very worth doing. But then, as you very clearly pointed out, there is the next step of noticing that even what you were previously calling the content of awareness, the things you're seeing, the things you're hearing, the body sensations you're having, and so on, are actually just, we could say, constructed out of awareness or made of awareness Mm -hmm. or uh, not different in any way from awareness. Yeah. And that would be the collapse of all duality, right? Now, mm-hmm. there, if there's no difference between the feeling in my toe and the TV over there, they're both made of awareness. Now we just have one field of awareness, and that's mm-hmm. the non-duality. So very often, traditions will take people in these two steps, right? Mm-hmm. We'll first get into witness consciousness. Once you're there, it's much easier to notice that the things that are arising in awareness are actually just awareness itself. So before I continue with my super long question, would you agree <laughs> with how I'm laying this out? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so far. Yeah. Okay, good. So that's a typical one-two punch, right? Mm-hmm. And we might call it the first one's Turiya and the next one's Turiya Tita. There's all mm-hmm. kinds of language mm-hmm. for this, but it's a nice way of doing it. And so I'm curious Is that your typical way of teaching, that particular one, two-step, or are you doing in your most, I know you teach a lot of different things, but let's say average thing that you would teach the average person, is that Mm -hmm. the two-step move you're making or are you doing something very different? Yeah, so, I mean, I won't get into this as deeply, but just playing with, you know, the four foundations of mindfulness, which is focused on the contents of sensation, thoughts, feelings, and emotions, mind objects. So in what I call the five foundations of effortless mindfulness, I have people feel that awareness is opening or dropping. So the first thing is there's usually two different directions, and some people have an easier time opening up to that space, and others feel like they can drop almost within the atoms in their body, and then that opens up. So that's one of the first things I do is often find that some people who can't do it by following a certain set of instructions can do it if they go a different route. And there's a bunch of those, but those are the two main ones. Yeah, there's zillions of them, right? Yeah, but But those are big ones. So the second one you're describing is the unhooking, correct? Where we're moving the center of awareness around the body. Yes. So you go deep within the body. So the first principle of the first foundation is actually the unique thing, which is that when I invite somebody, can you feel this sense of identification of a looker or a thinker in the middle of your head behind your eyes? And can you feel just as a premise that awareness is inherent within it? And then what does it feel like if awareness unhooks and opens to the space in the room and becomes aware of the space directly from the space and then opens to notice whether it's not only physical space and what sound is moving, but opens to see if it can discover a spacious awareness that's always already been awake 
without yeah. your help. And so something like that. And so the unique thing there is it skips the meditator. Yes. And even skips the witness because even when we go back to what I was saying, that as that awareness, which is not a meditator, <laughs> opens and discovers this awareness that's already awake, as soon as it turns around, now we skip the witness consciousness too. Yes. Because that will separate it out again into a dualistic viewer. So the five foundations are the local awareness opens to the spacious awareness. Then the spacious awareness is realized that it's aware of itself by itself. And then we realize that we're aware from that awareness. But as soon as we're aware from it, we're looking to feel whether what's arising is made of it. And that's what kind of brings us back home to the feeling of a kind of an ocean of awareness that's arising as a wave. So an ocean and a wave, the wetness and the ocean are not separate. There's a feeling of not oneness, because it's not one. That's why it's non-dual. <laughs> that's why yes. so, some people say, you know, non-dual is pure awareness, but that's actually a new dualism because it's like, well, what happened to thoughts and feelings? Like, oh, that's a second thing. Okay, well, now there's two again. And then the other thing is saying, okay, now there's the same taste or everything's interconnected, so it's one. So now you've kind of landed in a one thing, but there's actually the perception simultaneously of multiplicity, uniqueness, separate bodies in this primary field of interconnected, empty appearance, love. That's right. It's not some kind of gray goo Everything is just one bland sameness. Yes. There's the full, as you said, multiplicity, uniqueness, characteristics of everything completely present, mm -hmm. and yet they're all arising in this unified field. Yes. I could say. You know, so it relies a lot on this first unhooking of awareness. So when I invite people, can you please unhook awareness from thought? I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you, the doer. I'm not talking to you, the meditator. I'm talking from my awareness, through my human language system, using a voice to go to your ears, and then to go to your thinking self, and then talking through that to the awareness that's already inherently aware and saying, hello, awareness, <laughs> how are you? Could you please see if you could unhook from the thinker and discover yourself. And then awareness goes, I don't know how to do that, you know, or it doesn't even respond. It just eventually feels like it does. It just happens without thinking and it goes beyond thinking. And so that move is what makes this particular direct practice in Tibetan. They call it the child awareness returns to the mother awareness. So it's not two things, it's not two awarenesses, but it is local awareness, which is identified, that is able to feel itself move and return and be non-local. And then when it's non-local, it recognizes everything, it's inherent or the ground of everything. And then it can be local and focus on something or like a task without having to create a manager or use the attentional system 
as the primary point of view. Boy, there's a lot of stuff to ask right there. <laughs> yeah, and so that was a little clarification. The other kind of trap, the one I mentioned is when you're getting caught in what I call the witness protection program, which is making that shift from being aware from awareness as if you separate out awareness and appearance, as if they're two things. Yes. And the other one is right before that is once you realize, oh, this local awareness is aware of awareness. Oh, my God, there's an awareness that's always been aware and it's greater than me. And then it's not me. It's greater than me. Oh, I am one with the universe. So all of a sudden, I am one with something bigger. And now there's actually kind of a oneness, but kind of like, oh, I'm a small self, but I'm like plugged in to the universe rather than feeling like you actually are both greater than the small self and you're appearing as this local, unique human wave in the ocean. So you're both the ocean and the wave, which is also kind of part of the non-dual. So you're not a small mystic having an experience of the divine you're related you and the divine are connected but you're not god either you're not you're not uniquely god so those are the kind of almost like mystical traps that have happened where you're choosing one or the other i'm either the small self that now realizes god and god is you or universe or divine and then or i am god oh now i am oh i am the universe so i'm god i'm greater than Myself, there's no self, there's just the divine, which I am, and I can do anything I want. <laughs> so I guess that's what I'm emphasizing is the simultaneousness or the paradoxical or the both andness in each of these. That there's the awareness and the appearance, something greater than yourself that's not other than yourself. And you're not doing this, but it's just the subtle navigating of your own consciousness that your awareness can feel these different dimensions. And when you kind of navigate and return home, it kind of snaps into, oh, yeah, right. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, thank you for clarifying that. Certainly the first misstep you're describing where people take awake awareness to be you know, God yeah. is very common and is the basis of several very large religions, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's definitely the case that non-dual practice can be theistic. It's really yes. interesting. It doesn't have to be Buddhist non-theism. It right. can also arise as theism with mm -hmm. or without the mistake uh, you're describing. Exactly. It's kind of fascinating. Absolutely, yeah. And just because I'm going to just throw in a question here because I hear it a lot and okay. I'm like, I don't know, ask a lot. So I'll allow you to answer that question. And okay. that is, is your concept of awake awareness the same as Rigpa or whatever other synonym for Rigpa we have out there? Yeah. So I think as I've looked at the different definitions and schools of Rigpa, some people define it as if it's like Turiya. The witness consciousness. Or even just the pure awareness that isn't Turiya Tita, that isn't the interconnected. So rest as Rigpa 
can be, you know, the source, the groundless ground of what is essential in everything, the pure awareness. So Rigpa sometimes is the essence. And then there's a discovery of Rigpa appearance and Rigpa is essentially or emptiness appearance or emptiness form that still Rigpa is the source, but it is not a separate thing like a movie screen in which all appearances are happening. Some people use that for Rigpa or a mirror. That's a metaphor that's used. Rigpa is like a mirror and everything's reflected in it and just comes and goes. But I think there's another couple steps. Yes. And there are certain traditions that emphasize that. You're not degrading Rigpa. <laughs> You're not Rigpa remains the the groundless ground or what I call the boundless ground or the essential essence. It just now can be both that and inherent within, not even inherent within, but really essentially the essence of everything so that then you can live a human life that is, you know, the unborn and the born, you know, the formless and the form, the ultimate and the relative reality. And then it's the same taste. So it's kind of a next move. And then there's a feeling bodhicitta, which is kind of a little more like appearance from what's called dharmakaya. So dharmakaya would be what some people call rigpa, which is one of the three dimensions. And then sambhogakaya is this energetic interconnectedness, you know, somewhat this non-dual unity. And then nirmanakaya is this kind of what Zen might call ordinary mind or precious human birth or like living as a awake human being while these other dimensions are happening. And there the grounding quality is this compassion or bodhicitta. But it's not like one of the four qualities like loving kindness, compassion. It's ultimate bodhicitta, which is like the fabric of reality has this unconditional loving embrace. And it's just made of it. That's the electricity or the movement is love. Yes. Excellent. So nice answer. It depends on what you mean by Rigpa. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And, and I yeah. have my leanings, you know, toward keep going, don't stop at pure awareness or the mirror, you know, that's not quite as good a metaphor. Like the Zen patriarch, right? Smash the mirror. Yeah. So, and just so we get our terms lining up, the way I've been using witness consciousness with a capital W is equivalent to what you just called Turiya or Rigpa One. Okay, yeah. Just this ground of being, right. as, you know, awareness thing. So, okay, great. Now, the other question I get the most about your practices mm -hmm. is people are like, okay, I'm walking around glimpsing, I'm dropping into some form of this over and over again all day long. Yeah, That's not that hard. And, you know, for a lot of people, it's not to notice it for a second or whatever here and there. But then they're like, how do I begin to stabilize this or get these short glimpses to begin to add together to longer, more sustained, stabilized awareness of this? Yeah. So I would say there's, you know, kind of the natural self-sustaining may arise, 
or there's actually sets of practices for stabilizing or abiding, which I call training to remain, which, you know, have something to do with once awareness, let's say, through what we've been talking about is the awareness becomes aware of itself as spacious awareness that's already aware by itself. And then as you're aware from the awareness and get the feeling and glimpse that it's equally inside and out, that it's spacious and pervasive, that it's equally who you are and greater than you, that it is what everything's made of. So there's a feeling that then it's just almost like the little bit of keep letting awareness equally inside and out. So it's almost like the intentionality of awareness starts to be a little more intention. I kind of call it dog zen, which is because I, <laughs> I say, stay, stay. <laughs> so, so, so it literally feels like that awareness, the local awareness, isn't going to go up to thought. So it's one of the metaphors I use. It's almost as if you've got a balloon in water and you're just a little bit not letting the balloon go back up to thought. Just letting awareness be aware of awareness and then let that awareness be aware of everything. But there's a little intentional surrender back and down to the awareness that's already aware and includes everything equally inside and out. And what that does is it balances the default mode network of the brain. So all of a sudden the body comes online as, okay, this is happening and I can function from kind of a flow consciousness from here once the neuronal network starts getting on board for embodied non-duality. But you're embodying it by being aware of the awareness that's equally inside and out and that lets your brain balance. So that's kind of one of the first practices and it's a little bit about the intentionality of awareness actively training itself to be primary. So those are the kind of practices, and I have a bunch of them, and I'm actually developing some more now for different types of people. But, you know, some of them are in my new book toward the end, The Way of Effortless Mindfulness, so people can play with them. But, you know, just getting the first glimpsing in the middle of the day starts the engine, you know, starts the wheels and gives the oil for off the cushion practice. And then it's just kind of moving to the next stage of practice. Yeah. Something that I've noticed with a lot of people is if you're doing that kind of momentary dropping into it over and over again on purpose, you'll just start noticing it over and over again momentarily accidentally because it's there a lot now that you know what it looks like. Yeah. And you'll start to notice there's way more of that going on than you previously thought. Yes. And they start to get a little longer, a little more stable, a little more. Mm -hmm. They might start just accidentally one moving into the other. Mm -hmm. like you're, it's effortless. And then you sustain it, like you're saying, with just a little tiny bit of intentionality or whatever. Mm -hmm. So if somebody has that initial ability to at least notice it for a moment, mm -hmm. it's 
actually not that hard to just keep doing that over and over. Yes. You know. And then the next thing would be, as you're kind of hinting, start noticing and then take it for a walk. In other words, do something active from there and notice how you lose it and then just learn to return and train to remain. So you kind of start to, you know, have this playful, oh, look at that. Oh, there I go. I went back up. Oh, just I glimpsed and let's just wait until it goes. Let's watch it go. Oh, there it goes. Where'd, I ha- where'd it go? Oh, it went back up uh, to my head. And now i am got this view and I have this opinion about this thing that's happening in front of my eyes. And that's actually how I kind of reverse engineered just, you know, had some experiences of awakening that I would just wait until it went. And then I thought, okay, let me immediately return. Now let me lose it. Now let me find it. Now let me lose it. Let me find it. And I just start to, uh, it reveals the patterns or the kind of magnetic pull that pulls back. And then one of the next practices is let it stay, remain inside and out and let it pull back into a small separate self while you remain including that small separate self. So all of a sudden it's like, okay, now they're both happening. (laughs) And then it's like, oh, there's that habit. Oh, it's just a habit. The observer has now become observed. So it's doing its thing, but it's not drawing you back into its magnetic orbit. So that's a good practice too. Yeah, that sounds really powerful and interesting. Now, can you give me or give us, I'll make it a a bigger group here, can you give me and the listeners a preview of one of the new exercises you've been developing? I mean, that's one of them right there. That one of being aware of a little more of a no-self-self so that you feel like you can be aware and walk around and you can have parts of you that are triggered. And they can, you know, come up within your body or even sit in the seat of the self, like behind your eyes, and start to have an opinion and really start to feel that collapse or contraction, which tends to be, you know, one of the main feelings. It's like a collapse or contraction, and then a snap of a separation from you and whoever or whatever you're relating to. So that multidimensional view that includes and almost welcomes other parts of yourself or other points of view. So it's not a surprise and it's not an either or. So it's not, oh, I'm in this spacious, because often the initial glimpse is going from a small separate felt sense to a spacious interconnected field. And then there's a little preferencing (laughs) for that. And then when you lose it, oh, now I'm identified, now I'm free, now I'm identified. So it's like, okay, what about samsara and nirvana? Let's try them both at once. Oh, wow. And then what happens is there's some, what's called self-liberating. So there's some kind of you know insight into different parts of you that get triggered and some love toward them, and then some kind of offloading or unburdening or what I call shake and bake, which is kind of on the energetic level of early kleshas and held energies in the body can start to release and be to this greater capacity of self, no self, self. So that self that's greater 
is also, you know, in a human form and starts to be both, again, another both and. That's really powerful. Thank you. One of the things I really appreciate in your new book that is, I can tell that it just comes from doing a lot of teaching, is there's a whole section, a very large section, on all the ways you can make a mistake with this. Mm. And you've got names for each of them, like you just mentioned several of them here. I don't know how many are in there. I would guess something like 15 or something. It's, mm. a, it's a pretty big extensive section. Yeah. But what I like about it is you've obviously working with so many people and you've seen, you know, oh, here's a pattern where people can get off track. Here's another way they can get off track. And for each of those, you've got something they can do, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. To, to get back out of the weeds. So A, I just wanted to say, you know, I appreciate that section and I, I can just tell it comes from long experience right? Like, oh, this is, I've just seen it all at this point. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you, you've seen it all. At I've this point seen it all in me and in most other people. Right. That's right. <laughs> I'm curious if you see these days, any one of those happening more than others. Like there's a really common misstep here that you can talk about. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, the focus on, you know, just the calming dimension or the limitation of awareness to attention and kind of mindful witnessing so that the word awareness isn't allowed to experience this boundless awareness that's awake. So, you know, making that a glimpse, just glimpsing that intentionally, immediately, and getting that shift from, you know, what's called small mind in Tibetan, it's called sem and then going to Rigpa, but literally self-glimpsing, you know, self-pointing, self-shifting, shifting of that local awareness to a different kind of awareness that isn't an intention, isn't attention, and isn't, you know, a um, mindful witnessing awareness, just, you know, becomes this new foundation and then the second one is that uh, once you realize that, not stopping and making it into a witness or a pure awareness. I mean, some people who have done kind of some non-dual practice will say to me, I've heard it a couple of times, I've had an awakening, I'm this non-dual awareness, everything else just comes and goes. I go into a grocery store and things just end up in my cart. You know, and I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> but, but like, then I say like, well, the things in your cart, do they tend to be things you like to, you know, to eat or they're just like random, you know? So, <laughs> so, so <laughs> it's almost the, you know, this kind of either stopping halfway at the preliminary practices or stopping at pure awareness as non-dual and not finding the embodiment and the love and the interconnection that are just as natural. So the, you know, the willingness to kind of explore the map and to get a feel for that navigating tool of local awareness that can move through dimensions of consciousness uh, with a kind of simple map that needs to be experiential. So, you know, we're talking about it here, but people, you know, can experience this and there's different ways to do that. Yeah, so I would say those are the primary things I see. 
Now, if people want to play with some of your practices, not in a book, but Mm -hmm. just online or in a video or whatever, what free resources do you have out there for people to just get some La Kelly guided meditation time? Yeah. So there's a bunch of audios on my website, and then there's a bunch of YouTubes on YouTube (laughs) that I go through some of the practices. And... Then there is a short audio that you can download, which that one's from Audible, but it goes through the practices in my first book in order and kind of goes through kind of step by step. Yeah, so there's a bunch of audio on other people's apps like Inside Timer and Sam Harris's Waking Up and on SoundCloud. So you can you know look at my website, it will point you to some of the audio and videos. Is there any one of those practices that is the first one someone should do? So, you know, getting a feel for unhooking and separating out the feeling of awareness that's able to move itself and return to the feeling of knowing itself as open mind or open heart, which is spacious, non-thought-based, alert, inclusive so that you're aware from a feeling of not located in a small self. So you go out of that and then into. So it's primarily about getting the feel for unhooking or you know, detaching or disidentifying. But you're not disidentifying. The awareness is moving itself. You know, and it, it can take a little time because so many people are so habitually tied to using attention from your head to your center of your body or something. And when you unhook and then feel your jaw from within, through your throat from within, and move the center to your upper body or your whole body or your heart space, and then you're aware from your heart space and this kind of boundless heart that's all around it relieves this kind of pressure of separation and it gives you a feeling that everything's okay because ultimately that relief of suffering is this feeling that underneath it all, who I am has always been okay and essentially there's nothing to worry about. There's no problem to solve. Ultimately, there's no sense of something wrong with me essentially so then our imperfect human personality can be embraced from this essential well-being or basic goodness Locke, thank you so much for coming back on the deconstructing yourself podcast i really appreciate it thanks michael it's always a pleasure That's it for this episode of Deconstructing Yourself. I'd like to let you know about an upcoming retreat I have available in the first half of 2024. This April, I'll be teaching a six-day residential retreat at Mount Madonna Center in the hills of Northern California. From April 14th to the 19th, I'll be leading practitioners in non-dual meditation techniques, guided meditations, and silent sitting with the group. 
So if you'd like to spend six days working on deepening your spiritual practice and particularly working on your non-dual meditation with me and a group of interested folks, please consider joining me at Mount Madonna this April. Just go to the deconstructingyourself.com slash events page and follow the links you find there. I look forward to seeing you at the retreat. There will also be a meditation retreat with me coming up this August in Costa Rica. You can find out more about that at the same deconstructingyourself.com slash events page. If you enjoyed the podcast, please recommend it to a friend or talk about it on social media. Doing that helps it find its way to more people who might be interested. If you're moved to support the podcast, you can do that by contributing to the production costs on my Patreon page. That's at patreon.com slash Michael Taft. The money goes to support the recording, production, and bandwidth costs of this program, which are substantial. By contributing to Patreon, you're making it possible for me to continue to create and share these conversations as often as possible. A special perk for high-level contributors is a monthly or even bi-monthly event with me on Zoom, where you can ask me any meditation questions you have. I deeply appreciate your support. I also have a number of free resources for you, beginning with my YouTube channel. There are hundreds of hours of free guided meditations and videos there, so if you're interested, that's quite a large resource and offered to you completely free of charge. The channel address on YouTube is MWT111, or you can just search my name, Michael Taft. I encourage you to subscribe to the channel and join me each week for a new live guided meditation session. If you'd like to interact with a broad community of people interested in meditation, particularly those who engage with my YouTube meditations, I have a free Discord server called Deconstruct U. That's Deconstruct and then just the single capital letter U. There are a large number of discussion channels there and it's free, so hop on the server and introduce yourself. And of course, there's the deconstructingyourself.com website itself, which has articles, interviews, and more about meditation going back over 12 years at this point. So be sure to check that out. Beyond these free options, I also have a number of paid online courses to help you grow and develop in your spiritual practice. You can find out about those either by signing up for my email list at deconstructingyourself.com slash sign up or at the site deconstructingyourself.org. I look forward to seeing you in class. The Deconstructing Yourself podcast has always had excellent sound, which is the result of an amazing audio engineer and amazing human being named Stephen McNamara. He's an all-things audio person with many decades of experience in producing music and spoken word audio. If you're interested, you can contact him at his website, yogitar.com. That's Y-O-G-I-T-A-R dot com. Music on the Deconstructing Yourself podcast is a track by Peter Bauman entitled Crossing the Abyss from his album Machines of Desire. Thank you for listening. <laughs>